0: So we're reading uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. By the humility and gentleness of Christ I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when away. I beg you that when I come I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. You are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realise that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We however will not boast beyond proper limits, but will continue our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. We are not going too far in your boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that, is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory, but that the one who boasts boasts in the Lord for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved but the one whom the Lord commends
1: good morning everyone it's um it's really great to be with you this morning i was just um Just really uh, struck as we were singing together. I think maybe it's a bit of an association of the time of year. You know how you kind of associate things with the time of year? Um, I think I've developed an association that this is the time of year that we should all be locked down in our houses, and I stand here on a Sunday morning and stare into a camera. Um, So I'm really, in the light of that, I'm really enjoying uh, being together with you this morning. Um, Those who are still behind the camera, um, I'm glad that you can join us. I hope that uh, you're feeling better soon. A shout out to uh, to James who has just sent me a text message saying, uh, let people know that there are co- paper copies of guidelines for giving um, on the back table. So thank you, James. Uh, James is not well this morning. Um, and a shout out to uh, to Roland also who is um, on holidays in New Zealand, half his luck, um, and uh, has, uh, has checked in this morning. Uh, if you are at home online, uh, do please uh, let us know that you're there um, and uh, so that we, we know how we can be uh, serving you and praying for you. Uh, but let's pray as we come to this part of uh, 2 Corinthians. Father God, we thank you for your word. We, we thank you that we can gather together this morning and open your word and think about what it says. Father, we, we ask that you give us insight and understanding. We ask that you'd work in our hearts by your spirit and please grow us into the people that you want us to be. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I was reading uh, an excellent little commentary during the week uh, called Two Corinthians for You. Uh, it's by Gary Miller. It's by the same, same guy that uh, has written the, uh, the, the Bible study guide that we, uh, many of our growth scripts are using. And uh, I learned in it of uh, the origin of a phrase that I'm sure you've, uh, you've heard. Uh, it began in 1814 when the, the Russian poet and author Ivan Andreevich Krylov my, my best. Um, I was practising that. Uh, he wrote a, a, a fable called The Inquisitive Man. And uh, in, in this fable, a man goes into a museum and he, he notices all sorts of tiny things, but he fails to notice an elephant. Uh, then Fyodor Dostoevsky later wrote uh, in his novel Demons, Bolinsky was just like Krylov's inquisitive man who didn't notice the elephant in the museum. And from that, the phrase elephant in the museum uh, became eventually the elephant in the room, a saying to to describe a big and obvious issue that has not yet been mentioned, but soon will be brought to uh, our attention. And I think that sums up what's going on here in chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians. You might have noticed as we've worked through it, that uh, up until now, that Paul hasn't directly addressed the the false teachers who have come in amongst the Corinthian church caused trouble and, and levelled various accusations against Paul. Um, and they're, they're obviously there uh, throughout the letter, in the room, so to speak. Uh, you see that in uh, Paul's need to defend himself and his, his ministry throughout the, the early chapters of the letter. Uh, you see it in, in his warnings uh, to the Corinthians to not be yoked together with unbelievers in chapter 6. But now here in chapter 10, he turns to address the very large, impressive-sounding and philosophically sophisticated elephant in the room. Uh, He finally begins to address the accusations that have been levelled against him. Uh, These divisive and arrogant super-apostles, which uh, is a a label he gives them in the next chapter, more of that next week, have been accusing him. And I reckon being personally accused, attacked, is one of the harder things to to cope with in in life for all of us. And yet it's also one of the the most certain things for anyone who is a follower of Jesus. Uh, We face criticism, we face attacks, accusations. Uh, Sometimes they're they're ridiculous and outrageous. Uh, Other times they're they're clever and subtle. Sometimes the accusations might be be justified. Uh, Other times they're not. Sometimes they're, they're blatantly false other times, there might be a kind of a mixture of, of truth and lies. One thing I think we can be sure of, though, is that criticism and attacks will come. Maybe some of you are currently facing that or, or dealing with, with criticisms and attacks. How do we respond when we're attacked? That can be complex. I mean, we might need to, we might need to listen. We might need to, to learn Other times, we might need to refute lies that come our way. Uh, Sometimes we we, we need to change course and be corrected. At other times, we need to stand firm. Uh, I think it can be messy. It can be complicated to know how to respond to criticism and attacks. How do you get the, the balance right between all those different factors? Well, I reckon we could do well to learn from the example of Paul as as he followed in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus. And what I want to do this morning is draw out uh, seven principles that we see in Paul's example, which I think will help us to, to approach these complexities of, of life and uh, of, of living in a church, and particularly of the, the complexities of Christian leadership. Now, this is probably showing my age, but um, who's heard of the, the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? Show hands. Yes, some people have, some people haven't. It was uh, written in uh, 1989, which you know, is probably before some of you were born, um, uh, a business self-help book by uh, Stephen Covey. Well, this morning I want to, get to go one up on, uh, on Mr. Covey and give us something much more useful, uh, which will outline for us what we see here in Paul, the seven habits of extremely godly leaders under attack. And uh, I'm, I'm indebted to that same commentary uh, I mentioned before for this breakup, but I think it's a really excellent uh, uh, way of capturing this chapter, and I trust that it will, will give us an example to follow and uh, seven habits to develop. Oh, I don't have my glass of water. Excuse me. All right, so first habit, and you can follow along on the outline Um First habit is be humble and gentle. Paul says, verse 1 By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away. Uh, Here Paul steps out on his own. He says, I, Paul. He's not writing uh, at this point with now with Timothy and his apostolic band and he highlights his humility and gentleness or his meekness as some translations put it now it seems that this was actually one of the things that paul was being criticized for that uh, he was judged as as timid verse 1 and uh, down in verse 10 it says some say that uh, in person he is unimpressive i reckon there's a certain irony in accusing him of humility and meekness Since they're basically accusing him of being godly, of being like Jesus, the the one who was gentle and lowly, who is humble and meek. Emptied himself, became a servant, and was obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul's opponents clearly didn't value humility, but Paul gladly wears that accusation. He wears it as a badge of honour. He says, notice, by the humility and gentleness of Christ. He's imitating his Lord, the Lord Jesus, by striving to be humble and gentle. And that's a habit for us to, to develop, to, to cultivate, to, to, to seek, to display when, when we are under attack. To be humble, to speak and act with humility, with gentleness. That can be hard to do. But we should strive to, as, two, as Philippians 2 says, to have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, to be humble and gentle as Jesus was. So that's the first habit, be humble and gentle. At the same time, we must, habit number two, trust the truth. Now, Paul says, verse 2, he says, I, I beg you that when I come... I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. Paul was being judged and, and condemned according to the standards of the world. But Paul wasn't interested in, in measuring up to any sort of worldly picture of success. And even though he, he did pursue humility and gentleness, he, he wasn't a doormat. And so, he wasn't going to be swayed by this this worldly criticism, he trusted the truth, which at times brought a certain boldness. He clung to the Gospel, he fought against and demolished lies and false ideas. And so, he says in verse 4, he says, "...the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world." On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. He says he fights with divine power, the divine power that the truth has, that the knowledge of God has, to, verse 5, demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, I think there are many worldly ideas and philosophies that, that do that, that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. Oh, I could think of a bunch of, um, bunch of isms, like materialism, you know, living for, for this world as if this world is all there is and so live for stuff, live for possessions and wealth and money and greed and that's materialism or hedonism, hedonism is just a, a fancy word for living for pleasure, trying to get as much pleasure as you can. Uh, or another ism that I think is kind of growing in its, in its influence, environmentalism, living for, well, I don't know, the earth, I guess. Um, I reckon that's taken on a really strong kind of almost moral, religious sort of intensity to it, uh, this overarching importance to live for the environment. I was un- noticed on the side of a bus um, the other day, there was, a, there was an ad, I think it was advertising going into early child child care and you know having a career in in um, in, in child care and it had a picture of, of someone reading a book to a child and the book they were reading had a cartoon with a with a blimp flying along with the word recycle coming out of the back of the blimp and then this is what the book says It says so tell your friends what it means to be green and spread the word if we can all be green we can save the world I thought wow apparently that's the message to live by. That's the word to to pass on to the next generation. That's the way to save the world. I think another dominant um, ism is, of course, individualism. Living for self. There's all sorts of variations on individualism and living for the God of self and who I choose to be, the reality that I choose to shape around myself. Against all these isms, the truth of the knowledge of God, it cuts through them and we ought to trust the truth. See, I reckon when, um, when we're under attack by various voices, we can, we can kind of feel the pressure to, to retreat, to, to give in and perhaps in the name of so-called uh, tolerance, to, to not trust the truth to not apply the truth, to to not show up the godless pretensions that call for our allegiance. But, if we do trust the truth, then obedience to Christ, that that, that Paul says, we take every, uh, what does he say, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Obedience to Christ, that will be the overarching rule and standard by which everything is measured and judged. And so you think, well, does living for stuff as, as the overarching primary goal in life, does, does that align with obedience to Christ? No. Does living for pleasure as the primary goal in life align with obedience to Christ? No. Does living for recycling align to obedience to Christ? No. Does living for my own self-determined life and identity, does that align to obedience to Christ? No. So yes, habit one, be humble and gentle, but habit two, trust the truth and use it to show up the lies that oppose the knowledge of God. Now, as we come to our third habit, notice, um, notice that the criticisms of Paul include, verse seven, being judged by appearances. And in verse 10, it's, he says, um, as I said before, in person, some say he's unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. And over in 11 verse 6 we'll look at next week Paul says um, I do have uh, so what did he say oh sorry I may indeed be untrained as a speaker so you can see that these kind of accusations are floating around about Paul you know maybe they're saying things like uh, gee Paul what a loser I mean he's not much of a preacher and gee, he's you know he's not very impressive it's a bit dull really there's these accusations uh, being fired at Paul and Paul's not interested in playing their game and putting his confidence in, in his skills, in his performance, seeking to, to measure up to whatever standards that they, they value. And no, instead he, he simply puts his confidence in Christ and in who he is in Christ. Habit number three, put your confidence in Christ. Verse seven As "'You are judging by appearances.'" if anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. Notice there, in the face of criticism, Paul, he rests in the simple fact that, that he belongs to Christ. That's where his confidence lies. Furthermore, for him, his confidence was in the fact that Christ had given him authority as his apostle for building up the church at Corinth. And so he was happy, verse 8, to boast somewhat freely about that fact, which is not saying anything about Paul and his cleverness, but everything about Christ and his choosing of Paul for a task. Paul's confidence was in Christ. And we can have that same confidence, that same security. If we've come before Jesus and acknowledged our sin, acknowledged Him as our Lord and our Saviour, then we belong to Christ. We're one of His people. We're a member of His family. And our confidence rests in Him. In the face of of criticism, we can put our confidence in Christ and in the fact that we belong to Him. The fourth habit or characteristic characteristic that we see here in Paul, is an ongoing commitment to consistency. See, the, the charges um, against him included being uh, du- du- uh, du- duplicitous, sorry, can I say that, can't say that word, two-faced, uh, being two-faced. He's, he's saying one thing uh, in his letters, but, but a different thing in person. That's, that's the charge that's being leveled against him. So verse 10 says, For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. They're basically accusing him of being a keyboard warrior, you know, being, being mighty behind his keyboard, well, he's really had a keyboard, but you get my idea, and, but a bit of a wimp in person. Now, I think in our day and age where it can be easy and easy and tempting to sort of hide behind text messages and email and social media, we ought to ask whether we're open to that same charge. Are, are we one person online and a different person face to face? Now, against that accusation, Paul assures them, he's committed to respond to them the same way, whether by letter or in person. And that kind of consistency, that commitment to consistency, that's in keeping with the nature of the Gospel. So the message of the Gospel is not yes and no in the same sentence, it's rather every promise God has made is yes in Christ. God is completely faithful and consistent. And so we should strive to be likewise, to be committed to consistency and we should likewise we should be quick to admit when we're not we commit to consistency so be humble trust the truth put your confidence in christ commit to consistency fifthly don't compare i think it's so natural and uh, and normal to compare ourselves to others I mean, heck, even here at, at church we, we, we've got competitive uh, comparisons between churches. But I think it can sort of be, be normal, uh, a, con- a constant track that goes on in our, in our minds. The plays in our head constantly comparing and evaluating other people and evaluating ourselves and, you know, I'm smarter than him or she's, she's dumber than me or, you know, she's got more friends than me or he's a better speaker than me or I'm better looking than her. Like, these kind of this constant track goes in our heads, making comparisons. In so much of life, there's that that competition, perhaps even unconsciously, going on. And that was certainly going on in Corinth. And Paul says, don't do it. It's dumb. That's my paraphrase of verse 12. (laughs) He says, verse 12, We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves, When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. It's dumb. It's dumb to compare ourselves with and against one another. And really that's what lies behind a lot of accusations and criticisms. You're not as good as so-and-so. She's better than you. It's not wise. And Furthermore, when we, when we do that, when we enter into those kind of comparisons, it leads us either to, to pride, to saying, look at me, I'm so wonderful, or to pride's ugly sister, self-pity, look at me, I'm so useless. Don't compare. Instead, our sixth habit, focus on what God has given you to do. Which is what Paul strives to do. He doesn't want to enter into competition with other so-called self-appointed super-apostles. He doesn't want to sort of, you know, compare himself with them, get one up over them. Uh, it seems that they're pretty keen to cut in on, on his territory and claim it as their own. But he doesn't want to do that. He, he doesn't want to vie for a, for a position and influence over this or over that. But rather just to, to focus on what God has given him to do. Now in these uh, verses, verses 13 to 17, he talks a bit about boasting and we can think, oh, boasting, that's, you know, that's not good, is it? You shouldn't boast, that's bad. Um, which, you know, it, it can be, for example, if we're, we're boasting about how great and wonderful we are and, well, that's hardly a life of humility and gentleness. But boasting need not be uh, a negative thing. In fact, Paul says here in verse 17, he quotes Jeremiah 9 and says, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. So that, I mean, that's a, a positive thing. So boasting can have a, sense, a positive sense of rejoicing, of, of marvelling, of glorying in something, which is how uh, Paul is, is boasting here. So he says in verse 13, we, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a, a sphere that also includes you i can paraphrase that he's saying look the area the 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 sphere of service that we're happy to talk about that we're happy to boast about it, it it's an area that includes you because well we came to you to serve you by bringing you the gospel our boast is that that we were the ones who brought you the gospel not because we're you know oh so wonderful but simply because that's the job that god gave us to do And so he continues, verse fourteen. He says, "We're not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others." He's not interested in claiming credit for other people's ministry. The same can't be said for these uh, those who oppose him. They're trying to claim credit for his ministry. But what's more, he's He's not even interested in securing his territory as some sort of trophy for himself now he wants his ministry at Corinth to to extend to provide a base to extend the reach of the gospel elsewhere so he continues in verse 15 he says our hope is that as your faith continues to grow our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you for we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory, but let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Sorry, should have put that on the screen. There it is. Um, so he's not, he's not interested in, in competing with, uh, with others, taking credit for the work of others. He just wants to focus on what God has given him to do. It's a great principle for us to live by. Instead of entering into competitive comparisons and all the criticisms that that follow it's liberating to to see ourselves simply as servants of christ to put our confidence in him and to apply ourselves to to live for him in whatever task he puts before us which brings us to our our seventh and final habit live to please god See, Paul's commendation and our commendation doesn't come from comparing ourselves with others and you know, commending ourselves, saying, oh, look, we're, we're better than them. No, verse 18 says, "Oops, there it is, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. We live as, as children of God seeking to please our Heavenly Father. We live as servants of God, seeking to please our Lord, our Saviour, Jesus. And so even amongst criticism, accusation, we should live to please God. Look ahead, long for that day when we will appear before our Lord and Saviour and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. We live ultimately before an audience of one, before the Lord Jesus. Criticism, accusation is going to come. It'll come our way. So let's learn from the example of Paul as he follows Christ. To be humble and gentle, to trust the truth, to put our confidence in Christ, to commit to consistency, not comparing ourselves with others but focusing on what God has given us to do as we live to please God. May God work that in us more and more and may we live to please and honour Him. Amen.